0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us again for the program. Do you feel at times that we're living in a world gone mad? In a society experiencing rapid-fire changes to standards, acceptable codes of conduct and moral fence lines, how do we know where the line is between right and wrong? Does the Bible have anything to say? Dr. Corbett is engaging in a four-part series titled Not Quite Right, focusing on four key social quandaries. This week is the third topic on sexuality with guest speaker,
1: Paulo Rourke. Not quite right. The things that, that we hear and we hear them and we think there's just something that doesn't quite ring true when I hear that statement or, or see that thing or whatever. And so what we want to do is, is measure some of those things objectively against scripture, but not just scripture, but also just logic and common sense and even science. You know, as Christians, we don't need to be scared of science because science really just confirms what scripture says. It, doesn't, it never contradicts it. Science always just confirms what, what God's eternal word has already said to us. And so I want to pose a few, a few questions that I think aren't quite right and then unpack that little, a little but then do more than just outline the problem or the things that aren't quite right, but but then challenge us to do something about that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth and that it's eternal. We thank you that your word will accomplish that for which it's been purposed. You say that your word will not return void. We thank you that your word divides soul and spirit and joint and marrow and judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We thank you that, that it will convict, it will comfort, it will challenge, it will correct today if we allow it. And so we, that's what we do. We come with anticipation and with expectation that you would do something new and fresh in us through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let me pose a few thoughts to you. It's, to me anyway, maybe it's just me, but I I think you'll perhaps agree with some of these things or hopefully all of them, that to me it's not quite right that a young woman needs a permission note from her parents or guardian to go on a school excursion to the gorge but not to have an abortion. It's not quite right that in the committee discussions over legislation about abortion here in Tasmania, the then chief medical officer said that abortion was pretty much the same as a knee replacement, that it really wasn't any big deal, that it was a procedure that wasn't worthy of being counted in terms of numbers or why women have them, and that it was a procedure that we needed to normalise as a culture and as a society. That doesn't quite ring true to me. It's not quite right that governments, while on one hand want to reduce or even ban smoking for some age groups as being proposed here in Tasmania, but really do nothing practically about reducing the rate of abortion in Australia. It doesn't seem quite right to me that in Tasmania... Abortion is legal on demand to 16 weeks and then literally to term with the approval of two doctors who, among other things, can take into account a woman's current and future financial prospects. That doesn't seem quite right to me. But it's also not quite right to me that that according to a recent US survey, 43% of women who will have an abortion are Christians. And that of that 43%, that less than half have ever told anyone in the church about their decision for fear of being shamed and made to feel guilty and condemned and misunderstood. And so we want to address all those things this morning because that's not right.
0: At 16, I was given a very precious gift. It didn't seem that way to everyone else. I'd left school and was living with my boyfriend. So it was suggested that I end the pregnancy. But motherhood actually shows you how strong you really are. Our gift is now 14 years old, and she's beautiful in every way. Visit notbornyet.com.
1: We're told through culture, through advertising, through health professionals and even through our politicians if you think back to the the hearings for the Reproductive Health Act here in Tasmania that, that abortion really doesn't cause any harm and that women should have ultimate right over their body. What they neglect to tell you is that while 60 to 80% of Australians, and this is pretty constant in lots of different surveys that have been done, while 60 to 80% of Australians say they're generally in favour of abortion, most Australians are opposed to the reasons why most women have them. So let me explain. 97% of abortions in Australia are for lifestyle reasons. They're performed on a physically healthy woman who's having a physically healthy child. Okay? So the 97% are really for financial, lifestyle, they're all real reasons. I've just got into uni, I've got a partner husband who doesn't want this child, I've got four children and and we don't think we can afford another. To them this pregnancy is a crisis. But you know, 60 to 90% of Australians don't approve of abortions in those circumstances. I know because we did a survey here in Tasmania before we started running our ads. So over 60% of of Tasmanians don't approve of abortion for financial reasons, even if it's going to cause a woman financial hardship. 70% don't agree with abortion where it's going to disrupt a woman's career. Uh, 80% of Tasmanians don't agree with late-term abortion post-20 weeks. And 92% of Tasmanians don't agree with abortion for gender selection. We've got two boys, we found out we're having a girl having another boy, we don't want another boy. that's that's never publicised. Australians are much more conservative on the issue of life than than is given credit for. And so that's backed up by a lot of research. Selena Ewing, who is an Australian researcher, did a meta-analysis of dozens of international studies, including a couple from Australia, one from New Zealand and found that 70% of women who have an abortion said that they would have continued their pregnancy if just one significant person in their life had encouraged them to do so. So seven out of ten women really don't want an abortion, but feel that they have no choice. So spurred on by a culture that says it's safe, easy, convenient, you'll soon be unpregnant and you'll be the problem will be gone. And then... Fed a whole lot of misinformation or no information about the effects of a procedure, particularly when the counselling is is done by the abortion provider. I mean, there's a conflict of interest for a start, and then you know, supported by legislation that says abortion is is legal or decriminalised. Therefore, it must be okay, and so many women make a and what we call an irreversible decision, with with not the right level of information or support at a time when they're feeling most vulnerable, when their hormones are all over the place and when really the loudest voice is the, is the one that has the most sway. But if one person was to say, you can do this, it'll be okay and I'll help you and here's how, we could have a very different result. Well, we had been in Australia for less than a month and I didn't even know where to buy a pregnancy test. I was 17 and I was so ashamed. I mean, how would I even tell my parents? But when I first saw Nala's heart beating on the ultrasound, I knew what I wanted. It hasn't been an easy path for us. But here I am, watching her grow as she helps me grow too. Visit notbornyet.com So how do we get to a position where things that really by any objective measure are not right are allowed to happen? How have they become so culturally ingrained that we accept them almost without thinking? Well, I want to give you two quotes. They're very polar opposite, but they illustrate the point. The first is from Hitler. And he said, by lies, shrewd lies, unremittingly repeated We can make people believe that heaven is hell and hell is heaven and the bigger the lie, the more easily will it be bought. So he says, tell a lie, tell it often enough, tell it with conviction, tell it passionately and people will believe it. The second thing I want to use is is scripture and I want to use 1 Corinthians 2.14. And Paul says, But the natural man or the unspiritual man cannot accept the things of God for they are foolishness to him or her. How can he know them because these things are spiritually discerned? The reason things are not quite right is because we buy the lie so easily, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And Satan and sin inculcating culture say Things to us like, follow your feelings. Do this one thing, and all will be well. No one will know about it. Just do this. Follow your your heart, or your feelings, or your emotions, and you will be free. And yet, the the opposite is actually true. The second of the ads that I showed you this morning that we're going to run here, hopefully in June, if we can raise enough money, features a young Filipino mum called Nikki who arrived in Australia about two and a half years ago. Her father's a fly-in, fly-out worker. They settled in Western Australia. So there's Nikki, her mum, Bernadette, her dad and her brother. And they had been here about a month when she discovered that she was pregnant. She'd become pregnant to her boyfriend in the Philippines, landed in Australia, didn't know anyone, you know, didn't have a job. They've newly arrived and she finds out that she's pregnant. And as she says on the ad, she didn't even know where to buy a pregnancy test. But over time, she finally got one from a chemist and and mum guessed uh, by her demeanour that something was wrong, guessed that she was pregnant. And so they go off to a GP and Bernadette, the mother, says to the GP, you know, what what should we do? She's she's panicking. She doesn't know anyone. They're new to the country. And she just says to this doctor, you know, "What, what should we do? And the GP says to, her, says to them, well, a young woman in these circumstances, who will be a single mum, who doesn't know anyone, who's new to the country, who doesn't have a support network other than a loving family, you know, in Australia, girls here would have an abortion. That, that's the advice that she was given. And Bernadette, they're a Christian family, and so Bernadette, the mother, is is really rattled by this and somewhat influenced and says to her daughter, maybe it's for the best. Maybe, maybe on this occasion, because of the circumstances, you need to have a, a termination. And Nikki says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to. And says to the doctor, I don't want to have a termination. And the doctor says, why? And Nikki says, because I believe it's against my values. And then, you know what the doctor said? Yeah, but you've already had sex outside of marriage and that's against your values as well, isn't it? So what does it matter? And you know what? Maybe we can save you some money because if you're under nine weeks, we can give you a chemical abortion, take these pills at home and have a home abortion. And so they send her for an ultrasound and then everything changes. Because watching the baby literally come to life in that darkened room and seeing little hands and little feet and a heartbeat, everything changed. And the radiographer, who, who, who may never know the influence that she had, said to Bernadette, there's your grandchild. Not there's a blob of cells, there's, not there's a problem or there's a product of conception, but there's your grandchild. And the result is, of course, Nala Nala which means gift. But as I said earlier, let me tell you what else isn't quite right, that, that women who have an abortion or who have had yeah, women who have had an abortion or are considering one, the last place they want to seek advice is actually within the church. And we're talking about women who are who have a faith. That 43% of women in the US who who are are Christians and remain so despite having had an abortion. And we can say, oh, that's the US and everyone over there is a Christian. But they defined Christian by uh, a woman who attended a local church once a month or more, which is exactly the same definition that we would use here in Australia. You are a regular attender if you attend about once a month or once every three weeks. But less than half felt that they could share their story with anyone in the church for fear of being judged and condemned, particularly if they were single mums, particularly if they were young, single mums. So I just want to show you some statistics from, from that survey because they're, they're quite interesting. You can all read two-thirds say that church members judge single women who are pregnant. A majority, over 50%, think churches oversimplify decisions about pregnancy options for women. Fewer than half believe churches are prepared to help with decision about unwanted pregnancy. And only 30% of people think churches give accurate advice about pregnancy options. Wow, that that's a shocking indictment of us, isn't it? Because we're the church. It's not somebody else's church or somebody out there These women are talking about us, the people who profess to be be Christians. So women, in short, said we don't care, we don't know what we're talking about, we're not willing to help practically, and that we just oversimplify everything. We just perhaps glibly quote scripture or just tell everyone it's going to be okay without empathising with the women who are going through a difficult decision. 70% of women, according to both local and international research, 70% of women said they would have continued an unplanned or crisis pregnancy if just one person had encouraged them to do so. Just one. Just one person sitting in a pew who, who would say to that woman, hey, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. I know the timing's not great. I know this is going to be difficult. But you know what? I'll help you. We'll help you. We'll practically and physically and financially and prayerfully support you through this pregnancy, just as Nikki's parents and church family did when when she'd made that decision to continue the pregnancy. But going even a step further in that and welcoming and loving and commiserating with and crying with and comforting and doing something about the hurt that, that abortion leaves on women who sit quietly in our pews, who never tell anybody about their decision for fear that they'll be told to leave the church. See, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So what should our response be? Well, as I thought about how do I kind of transition this into what should we do, I came back to what is my favourite verse of scripture, it's my life verse, it's Micah 6.8. And it's simply, what does the Lord require of you and me? Just three things, to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly. Three interdependent commands to us. To act or behave with justice, which means to believe in, in fairness and rightness and jud And justice. But to do what's right and fair with great humility and love and compassion. To act justly, but to do it with mercy, to love mercy. And so sometimes we've been quite good at the truth, haven't we, in, in acting justly, but we've sometimes not delivered that with any great mercy. And that's where that mix between grace and truth comes in. Jesus came, you know, speaking truth, but delivering it with grace. And so sometimes we also want to steer the, too far the other way. Let the pendulum swing. To, it's all about grace and it's all about mercy. And we refuse to speak truth for fear that it may challenge or convict or correct someone. And yet that's not Jesus' model as well. While he said to the woman caught in adultery, and we never hear about the man caught in adultery, well, you know, what did he say? You know, is there no one left to condemn you? Well, neither do I but go and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Act act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. And so to walk humbly means to approach each person with great awareness of our own frailty and our own sin and our own shame and our own guilt and the things that we keep hidden for fear that if somebody knew would in fact reject us. You know, it's very easy to judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. Very easy, isn't it? We judge others by their actions, but we somehow consider ourselves by our good intentions that sometimes don't relate at all to good actions. So i found that most times that I speak somewhere, there's usually often a woman who will come up and tell me her story of an abortion. And sometimes I'm the very first, but sometimes I'm one of just a few people who've ever heard their story. And the first thing I say to them is, do you know God's forgiveness and have you forgiven yourself? And the answer to that question tells me a lot about how they're doing. And sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say, they, they look down and they say no. And so if I have the opportunity, I love to say to them well would you like to do that now because God already knows why don't we bring it to him and why don't you ask and accept his forgiveness and forgive yourself so if one in three Australian women will have an abortion then our churches are full of women in that situation the silent 43 percent who've who've never told anyone about that choice or the circumstances surrounding it and who live with the guilt and the shame You know, somebody said, um, sin is something that we do, guilt is something that we feel, and shame is something that we carry. And so this morning, I want to, to really bring it to the practical and say, well, then what should we do? You know, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus comes to bring life and life abundantly. Jesus said that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Sorry, Paul said that. The word says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. Why? Because if we confess our sin, he's what? He's faithful and he's just. To forgive us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. The thing I want to say this morning is the very sin that we think makes us unacceptable to God is actually the very sin for which he died. It's the thing he knows all about anyway and, and loves us in spite of that. The second group that I want to speak to may have come in weighed down by that guilt and shame of which I spoke. Now, it may be re- with regard to a, a termination, but it's not limited to that. I mean, there are all sorts of things that, that hold us back and hold us captive, all the things from our past that have been undealt with. Perhaps this morning, some things that I've said have have scratched a wound that's unresolved in you. And I believe that's actually happened. And you you give that away a little bit by your body language. And I'm not wanting to single anyone out, but I know that some things that I've said this morning have challenged your thoughts, your worldview, your sense of what's right and not quite right. And that's okay. We're all on a journey, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to persuade you. I want. We prayed at the start that the Holy Spirit would come and do what the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't condemn, He convicts. He challenges, he, he corrects, and then He comforts. And that's what we want this morning in a safe place to just kind of pour it all out in a safe environment and allow God to do what, what only He can do. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and just, and just minister. So Lord, we thank You that you are good, that you are holy, that you are righteous, but you are merciful. That you don't treat us as our sins require. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning, even on this Sunday morning here in Lagana. That your faithfulness is great and that your grace is sufficient for even us. You said we, when we confess our sins, you will not just forgive us, but you'll cleanse us. You will clothe us in robes of righteousness. You'll take off our filthy rags and clothe us in white. That you'll give us clean hands and a pure heart. And that's what we crave this morning. So for those of us who have come this morning with that burden of shame and guilt, for sins committed by us through our words, through our actions, through our inaction. The things that you already know, we acknowledge them this morning. We confess in our hearts that we've wronged you and others. And we ask for your forgiveness. We receive your grace this morning. We allow you to remove our shame and our pain and our guilt from us. And robe us in righteousness. So cleanse us, Lord. Restore us to factory conditions. Reboot us. Take away that which has held us back. Just minister now, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We thank you that you are a loving, a gentle, a gracious God who meets us right at our point of need into the deep places. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you for your grace. We receive your healing this morning with gratitude and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Emily's voice
0: is a fresh voice for life. A voice of love. The sound of hope. We were only married four weeks, and my wife told me she was pregnant with our
1: first child.
0: I'd left school and was living with my boyfriend. We were so afraid of having a child with a disability. Research shows 70% of mothers would have continued an unplanned pregnancy if just one significant person in their life had encouraged them to do so. Just one. Just one. Just one. Emily's voice is that voice of encouragement.
1: Of truth.
0: We're motivated by love. Love for women. And children. We tell the real stories of everyday people. But being a dad's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me well, Jimmy's just so not what we expected. And I love being a mum. She's my life. For women like me, I represent the one, one in every three Australian women who experience an abortion. I ended my first pregnancy so I know firsthand the pain of that choice. I can't tell you how much I regret that decision every day of my life. And I wonder if I'd seen an Emily's Voice ad or heard other people's stories whether my choice might have been different. We need Emily's Voice. A voice to speak to every Australian. To restart the conversation about life. In a way that's sensible, respectful,
1: empowering
0: and effective.
1: I was 16 when I found out I was pregnant and at the time I was living in a women's shelter. I was definitely thinking about an abortion. I was barely looking after myself, let alone a baby. But then I got a little feet pin in the mail from Emily's voice, and I kept seeing their ads on TV all the time. I reckon I must have seen like three a day. I realised that if I didn't have him, I might always regret it. Today, I've got Oliver, and Emily's voice is a big part of that.
0: We can all be Emily's voice. Because Emily's voice is a voice like yours.
1: You know, God, I want to end with this thought. God forgives us. When we confess our sins, He forgives us instantly. It's not a process, it's instant. Okay, But, you know, us forgiving ourselves, us dealing with the consequences of some of our decisions, that can be a process. And don't despise that. So today may be a step or another step for you in getting through some things that have been long held you back long stories of experiences and things that have happened. And so that's a long way of saying you might, need a, you might need more. And so find someone in the church in authority who can point you to the right person that can help you right where you are right now. And God bless you.
0: Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Not Quite Right, Sexuality, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters.